the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This season of the podcast is brought to you by The Threshold Community, a new collaboration between me and my dear friend, Holly Trular. We're gathering online with like-minded, collapse-aware people to tend the threshold of the twilight times of the world as we've known it. We'd love to have you join us at one of our free online public grief vigils. They happen every month on or around the new moon. Read all about it at thethresholdcommunity.com and find us on Instagram at tendingthethreshold. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and it's my birthday week. Welcome to my home, Scorpio's season. As always, on October 28th, I will have a 24-hour sale of my online courses. You'll get 45% off to celebrate my 45 years on the planet. I'm practically 50, the crone I was born to be. Uh, Sign up for my newsletter at carmenspaniola.com to get the promo code. And again, it's a one-day only sale, October 28th. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome artist and author Lindsay Tunkel. I discovered Lindsay's work when I came upon an interesting deck in the spirituality section of a bookstore. It's called Origins and Endings, Seeing Yourself Through the Apocalypse, a divination book and card deck. Naturally, I had to have it. And eventually, I felt I needed to meet its creator. I connected with Lindsay online. She was at home in Asheville, North Carolina. So Lindsay, what identities do you lead with? I, I just immediately like feel so overjoyed by this being the first question. Um, I lead with, there's so many parts of myself that want to like speak out immediately when asked that question, I think, because it's so rare that we're asked that question. And um, yeah, I am a Jewish um, pagan artist and writer and uh, coach and healer. Um, I am a sister. That's a really, really important um, identity for me. I'm also recovering from addiction, which is also another really important identity. I'm queer and femme and white and healing, like mm. continually evolving. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What a rich answer, cozy answer. Mm. Uh, I am super excited to talk with you. We have never talked before. I only know you from having one day randomly seen this um, deck in the, uh, I guess, the spiritual metaphysical section of Canada's biggest bookstore chain and Origins and Endings, a divination book. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like it was written for me, seeing yourself <laughs> through the apocalypse. I, I, and anyway, so having lived with this for almost a year now, I was very mm-hmm. excited to um, reach out to you. I would like to start actually with a piece that shows up predominantly at the end of the book. Uh, let's start with you telling us more about pre-apocalypse counseling. What led you to develop that? What is that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love hearing where people find the deck because it like does totally range from like these really big bookstores, to, like these hole in the wall. And for me as like an author and someone who it's just so it never gets old hearing where people find it. Um, yeah. So pre-apocalypse counseling um, is the thing that came before this deck and this deck kind of came out of pre-apocalypse counseling. Um, in my time as an artist, I created pre-apocalypse counseling, gosh, almost like six or seven years ago now. And um, it came out of this, both my own really thinking about what it means to move through endings, big and small. Um, and also a real desire to create art and interaction between people that was like really meaningful. And at a time in kind of the art world and the world in general, where like irony, and kind of cynicism felt kind of like the most, you know, the language everyone was using and feeling like people's ability to connect was really, really limiting. And I was trying to create art that would invite people into an emotional experience. And I found that if I went too head on, people would just kind of freak out and not want to be involved. And, and so I created pre-apocalypse counseling at a time actually when like, you know, apocalypse was kind of a more whimsical invitation, you know, now six or seven years ago, like, people were like, oh, I really need this, you know, where back then it was more just like, oh, how cute or weird or quirky or <laughs> oh, will there be zombies? Yeah, right, right. No, completely. And um, what it was, was it was, it was a 50 minute session one-on-one -on -one with me. Um, I, I'd always been really interested in, in blurring the lines between art and therapy or art and healing um, or art in any other modality. I felt like there was a lot of segregation and I was trying to break down some of those walls. And um, out of, when I was creating it, I there was a lack of space. I was in, I was in graduate school and they wouldn't give me like a closet even to do this in. And so I decided, okay, I'm gonna do it in my car. I'm gonna do it in my Subaru Forester, which really lended a great feeling to pre-apocalypse counseling. And- um, Because it was like, we're taking to the road now. <laughs> yeah, it was like, we're in our bug out vehicle. Like, <laughs> That's right, okay, yeah, okay. And, I, and you know, my car had like really big windows. And so wherever we were parked, would really kind of influence the tone of the session or if it was raining or if, you know, it was storm, you know, it just mm. lots of great atmospheric <laughs> things that I, you know, just had to show up for, which was mm. great. Um, and through the 50 minutes, we would, um, there was a series of questions. There were interactive exercises, visualizations, there were audio components. Um, I created a lot of different art objects to support the work, origins and endings being one of them, a stack I also created uh, while working with a scent artist, uh, scents that smelled like different apocalyptic events. Oh God, like what? Uh, like smoke? Uh, drought, Ooh. nuclear blast, tsunami, and asteroid collision. Wow. So this is another artist who's like, here's how I would imagine these. Wow. That sounds like it has some shamanistic undertones to it. It was a really complicated, interesting, definitely spiritual experience to collaborate <laughs> on those sets. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Wow. But I really also like, again, in that way, wanting to push the boundaries of art for me 
around, you know, art, we think of so much as visual. And I was like, but what if we are feeling it and smelling it and, and what other sen senses can we push beyond? And yeah, and so pre-apocalypse counseling, it's like evolved over time, right? Like as time has changed and um, I've had the honor to do it in lots of different places and then you know did another big push of it right after Trump got elected mm. and the tone definitely felt different it was it that I think was the real shift between whimsy and like mm. oh wait like something is something needs to be addressed you know well and I'm curious how are people when they get out of the car mm. <sighs> well so my aim and, you know, this is still like now, you know, now I have a, an actual healing practice and this is always, it's interesting that I'm just seeing this thread as you're asking me this question. My hope is that people leave their time with me feeling resourced and, mm -hmm. and not feeling doomy and gloomy, even though like, I really want to go in for the deep and the dark, like I'm all about going deep, but I want people to feel really connected to their inner resource and to the the joy that is still possible even within the darkness. And so usually people would leave pre-apocalypse counseling. You know, the last thing that we do is we listen to a song and the song they get depends on how they answer the question. If you were gonna in, a, in an apocalyptic event, would you wanna survive or would you just want to kind of die? Mm -hmm. Would you wanna let it go? Mm -hmm. And depending on what you choose, you we listen to a song and often we dance or we cry or we hug or, you know, and so, people often feel really light. The music brings them into their body, gets them to feel right. Okay. I'm safe. I'm here. Like I'm not in whatever hard thing we just went through. Well, and that they're in choice. Like that seems like the ultimate resource, right? Is like, am I present enough to even to the horror here, but am mm -hmm. I present enough to be in choice that yeah. something doesn't just happen to me that I don't expect that I don't see coming that I or that I see coming, but I have no choice about it. So that that's a that's a very uh, sort of clever trick of the mind and body you've done there. It's like <laughs> it's happening, but you get to be in choice about it. Uh, I can see how there's kind of a lifting or at least an inner coherence. There's a kind of relief that comes from being in choice, at least, you know, that there's like I'm safe enough to make the choice that if this is future seems too scary, I don't have to, or if there's something that I want to reach toward that I care about, no matter what happens to me, then I'm in that choice. That's, that's pretty brilliant. That's great art. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. I enjoy, I mean, if anything, I loved it. <laughs> you know, I, it was one of the, I mean, like, this was great. Thanks for coming out. Good luck with the apocalypse. This is great. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Oh, I, I, I just getting to hear so many people's different perspectives and, and, you know, the apocalypse in these sessions, it acts as a metaphor but also as the thing. And so we're often talking about like all of these layers, right? That are like, you know, rooted in people's core issues, but also really rooted in these very tangible things that are happening in the world, whether it be climate change or, um, you know, uprising or whatever is happening. Mm -hmm. and, and so while keeping levity, right? right? And I love you bringing up this idea of choice, right? Like, yes, like that is the most resource. And Mm. Yeah. So 
you also tuck into sort of at the back of the book, <laughs> kind of just like it's, it's this thought seed that's at the back. You have these like different prompts um, and uh, that that are associated with um, pre-apocalypse counseling, the, the art project. And one of the questions you pose is pretty bold. You ask, what event or time period would you mark as the beginning of contemporary brutality? So how do you answer that question, Lindsay? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just so amazing to have that question fed back to me. The, those questions at the back of the book, they come from after each session, you know, the person I was meeting would leave and I would sit and I would journal just about like whatever was coming up for me. And most of those thoughts that are back there, I, I don't remember the session, but I remember this session <laughs> okay. clearly. Um, and yeah, this question, I mean, I still don't have an answer. This was probably six years ago that this question came up for me. I, I have a lot of thoughts about it. I have a lot of musings. I think something that and I don't know when this is, and it's probably really different for lots of different cultures and lots of different places around the world, but something about the transition from brutality as a means of survival to brutality as a means of gaining comfort or like power, like something that is not about survival feels, because brutality, however we want to define that, there's a million ways to, goes back, be back and back and back and back. Like, is there a beginning point of that? I don't know. But the specific thing that I am talking about, I think is where humans interact with humans in a way that um, is brutal and the brutalizer actually gets very little out of it, maybe just a little bit more, but the person who was wounded is obliterated. And this kind of this is different, right? This is a shift. This is something else. And really also with this project, thinking a lot about how most of us don't have a choice about surviving in this world in an ethical way. It's very mm -hmm. hard to do that. Like we're always betraying ourselves. We're always betraying someone else, you know, you would have to buy nothing and go nowhere in order to not hurt anyone. And even then maybe it's questionable, you know? And so mm -hmm. this is such a predicament, I think, psychologically for humans who I think at our cores are really good and loving and tender and want to fall together rather than fall apart. And yet just in order to be okay, often there is brutality mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. I don't know if well, that answered your questions. I'm curious of your thoughts. My also. question, this is your question. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I, I, yeah, I really appreciate everything you said. Not only would you have to buy nothing and go nowhere, you couldn't even grow food. I mean, just, mm -hmm. just producing enough um, inputs means you have to subjugate something, you know, Pete is, and also like, who are we including in being brutal? Like, mm -hmm. you know, so one of the things I was thinking of as I've mused on this question for many months now is because, <laughs> you know, it depends on the, the day really, or just like what's happening in current affairs. But I do keep coming back to when we started riding on the backs of horses. Mm. When we started going from being in relationship with like yes. big hearted animals that that are clearly relational clearly herd oriented mm. clearly intelligent um 
And then we, we not only rode on the backs of them, even though like, I love horses. I like riding. I, I, I like being in a consent based relationship mm. when we're riding, but, but even then it's like, can it be consent if I feed mm. them and they rely on me for that, you mm. know, but there's something about that point in history. And kind of like you said, where the benefit for the brutalizer actually is, is more about comfort than need. And, and so once we rode on horses, we could now go make other, we could yeah. subjugate other peoples. We could like mm. go to other places and say, you keep doing what you're doing in terms of collecting food, but now you give it to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I don't know, for me that, that, that I keep coming back to that, that there's something about the other than humans that we subjugated first. And so some people might say, well, then it's when you started agriculture. It's like, yeah, I mean, you can keep going (laughs) like, you know, but there's something so relational about large animals. And that seems like a very important and ancient relationship for humans, but it really did lead to a lot of brutality, not just for the horses, but for humans, obviously, but, but both. So anyway, I love this. I love, no, I love the zooming in on the, the moment we rode, like, I think that is how we get to the meat of that question. It's, it's not one big moment. It's many little moments Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, one, a a teacher I had a, a long time ago said this amazing thing, like when you're answering a big question, you have to answer at the edges of it. Like, you, like going straight for the heart is not always where it is. And mm. some, and another thought that I've had also very in line with that is like, when we started saying we owned land, mm-hmm. right? Like where we went from like, we belong to the earth and the earth, you know, nurtures us to like the earth belongs to us. And right. like, and we're we, enclosing it now and we're, <sighs> we're blocking parts of it off and we're putting up fences and Yeah. 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 And not, that's not that long ago, actually, Mm-mm. you know, when we really think of it, it's like, so that actually heartens me in some ways that it's like, gosh, is there enough? There's, we all carry ancestral memory, obviously, but there, the, the things that are, we're directly downstream from definitely mm-hmm. have more charge. And it's, and so, you know, it's like, ah, uh, could we, could we, if this is getting us to back to an apocalypse question, you know, if apocalypse happens and enough people are decimated, can we restore a balance, you know? And what would be that number? Is it only 1 billion on the planet? Is it, you know, is it a few million? Anyway, these are fascinating. So this book and card deck then as a divination system. So you have this whole art thing and now you're like, oh, this one little piece is, is you thought it was kind of fun. You thought it was therapeutic. Like how did it then become its own standalone uh, divination system? Mm. Or yeah. not necessarily, it's also like an in, ink blot self-reflection system. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, great question. So... I kept getting a lot of feedback that because pre-apocalypse counseling like just was happening inside of my car with me, um, like A, how do we know that this work is happening? And like B, what about all the people who can't like get to your car <laughs> in <laughs> Oakland, California at the time, you know? And um, and I was a little bit like miffed by that question at first, you know, it was like, well, it's not about who knows that it's happening. It's about like the magic that's happening and the healing and the transformation that's happening between these two people. And um, 
you know, like, oh yeah, how do you know, make something that can go beyond this? I felt like that was a very capitalist question. And, but I, at the same time, it was a really good question of, okay, like, can I create something that creates the same feeling without me having to be there? And that I was like, I'm excited about making things accessible. I'm excited about challenging myself. I'm excited about exploring new forms. And so the debt came out of these questions and I, it was, it really was one of those things where like, it was very little planning. It just kind of came out and I created the imagery of the deck um, and had like so much fun doing it. And then like spent like weeks and weeks creating the, the book and doing a lot of research um, about how, what, you know, magically, psychologically, in different cultures and lineages, how we interpret certain symbols. And so for, for the listeners, the way the deck works is there's cards that are abstracted images of apocalyptic events and they are ink blots. And so looking at them, you're invited to explore what comes to your mind from your subconscious. What do you see in these images? And then depending on what you see, there's like five or six interpretations for each card. And uh, yeah, like it was a very fun process. I reached out to like, I think 150 people and asked them to look at the cards and took like what was most commonly seen in them. And uh, it's, it's such an uncanny experience to make something like this deck. Be, and it, it, it really made me believe in magic and things like divination even more because I made this deck and I was like, I don't know if it's going to work, you know? And I would sit with people and they would use it and we would use it together and they would ha like be really transformed and cry and feel really moved. And I was like, oh my God. And it felt like it was coming from a place that was much greater than me. Um, like I really was just kind of like taking some cues from <laughs> mm -hmm. some beautiful beings. <laughs> and when yeah. was the launch of the deck? Ooh, I want to say 2016. So it's been oh, a while okay. now. Okay. Yeah. It's been out for a while. All right. Yeah. Well, this is bananas. I definitely would have thought it had just come out because <laughs> I, so I last summer was in, like I said, big, Canada's biggest bookstore chain I was um I, I just always look and kind of see what what's out um part of my work is like intuitive business planning and different intuition development workshops and year-long programs so I have you know at any given time I probably have between 50 and 60 oracle decks and I kind of mm -hmm. I get rid of some every year and kind of cycle through and I, I just like you know and I, I buy off Instagram and different places just to kind of see like what's up so I think I have a pretty good uh, overview of like what's happening in this genre, you know, like this <laughs> kind of sector of um, publishing and, and maybe like a, a bit of a collector's eye, but also because I work in this field, of, you know, some expertise. I also love to do research and historical um, kind of context of, of things. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, Hello. <laughs> like, and it was on the bottom shelf and it's like pretty skinny. So it's hard to, but I was like, wow, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I brought it home and I, I, I opened it up and I did that thing where I just, you know, you say like, look at the images and see what you're drawn to. 
And so I was drawn to this one. I was like, wow, actually all of this imagery seems like very foreboding. I'm like not <laughs> super enjoying the art here. Not from like, just from like, I'm not hanging it on my wall anytime soon, right? It's like, but it's like very much, you know, the, the mood and the tone is like, okay, we're going to deal with some real shit here. Hmm. I chose this one and you turn it over. So you choose based on the image, you flip it over and it just has one word. And I got Ebola. And I have to tell you, the context of this is that as a prepper, you know, we've, my husband and I, you know, not like guns and beans bunker, doomsday prepper, but definitely like very uh, comprehensive, multiple versions of like earthquake kits and, you know, a year's worth of food at any given time, you know, we never have a problem finding toilet paper. Like there's just, you know, we (laughs) always have, and, and a few years ago, well, I've been tracking what's been happening with Ebola in Africa for probably Mm -hmm. like six or seven years. And, you know, in the last decade, kind of midway, there was one case of Ebola in Texas. And I was like, that's it. Now the earthquake (laughs) kits are getting hazmats. So I had my N95s, I had my goggles, I had my, you know, like hazmat suits. And um, at the time, you know, my husband was like, we don't even use bleach. Why do we have so much bleach? I was like, there's a nurse. She's amazing. She's doing incredible things in Congo, uh, saving her family Mm. with garbage bags and bleach and, Mm. you know, duct tape basically. So, and N95 masks. So we had a bunch of those. So when I got Ebola, I was like, what this is like my sort of pet apocalypse <laughs> and and like just that I'm like I I know that I'm clearly over responding to just so the listeners know Ebola is very easily contained it's not like coronavirus where it's hard to tell how it's traveling if you know where it is you can contain it and it'll stop it's just that it's the worst way to die you've ever heard of I'm not even going to talk mm-hmm. about it so I was like nope no way this is not so I get this card and I'm immediately feeling freaked out mm-hmm. and like, what the fuck? And so I read all the interpretations and I'm sort of like tuning into like, okay, what's right for me. Then later on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to revisit this deck again. I want to play with around with it a little bit. So I decide to do it differently. I like mix them all up. I spread them out. I close my eyes and pick and I get Ebola. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> like, totally. I was like, no, like oh. no. And so then uh, I was having, so we lead, um, we used to anyway, up until this year, a, a couple week long um, wilderness uh, quest event. And so the questers, you know, they go out and they're, it's a spiritual experience out in the woods. It's, you know, a rite of passage. And you kind of remain family, you know, we stay, we keep circling up for a year after their quest. And so we were hosting Questmas last mm. year where people would like come from <laughs> so all over. Sweet. Yeah. Somebody came from New Jersey to Victoria, somebody, you know, like, so people came from all over and I was like, oh, the questers, cause they know that Ruben and I, we, this is what we talk about is we talk mm. about like apocalypse over the meals at quest. Cause mm. it's like, look, let's talk about white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy, all these things. We, we get into it. And, mm-hmm. you know, my husband and I are cooking for them. So we have like lots of these like good long talks and tell them all about our preps. And so 
we're having Questmas. And I was like, you guys, you guys, I have this Oracle deck. <laughs> I think you guys are really, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> Let's do it. Yes. We like put them out and uh, everybody chose. Mm. And I think it was like the third time I closed my eyes. I picked Ibogola. <gasps> I was like, this is like bananas and <laughs> bullshit and like I don't like it I don't want it I don't want it I don't want it what am I not seeing mm. well wouldn't you know the very next year the globe has a massive pandemic it actually seems a little on the nose now right <laughs> like, like I'm like okay so but the, the main message I'm getting is like no my my fears are not irrational my mm -hmm. preps are actually really important. Mm -hmm. The fact that I've even talked about this, yes, it used to be in kind of a joking way, like Ebola is my pet fear. It's like, actually, it like mm. these, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that I've been <sighs> tracking these things. I feel much more resilient when mm. it comes to facing, um, you know, uh, large scale cooperation dilemmas and converging emergencies that have mm. no solution. I really do feel mm -hmm. good that, um, you know, we have this kind of culture in, in our household anyway, that we, we talk about uh, apocalypse. So, um, so anyway, that's my story of how that. it came in. Yeah. I love that story. And I think the message that you got from it is so perfect and something I have so deeply experienced as well, because, you know, my own obsession, my, my pet phobia and time phobia is asteroids or something Ooh, like really big yeah. colliding with the earth. But that like my in moments obsession and other moments, just like deep interest. Um, I get also like when, when the pandemic hit, everybody in my life was like, you have been preparing this for this for your entire 20 years, basically like this past 20 years. And, and I, I felt like, you know, I, I have been preparing for like when shit hits the fan. And for me, it's felt much more in an emotional way. Like, how do we learn that resiliency and learn to be together when everything, mm -hmm. when it, you know, when it just feels, I don't even know the word for it. Like, what has this year felt like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels so overwhelming. Things. Yeah, it feels so, so big. Well, I thought it would be fun for us to yes. pick a card, any card. And uh, so just for efficiency with time, I, I have my pendulum, which I've uh, used to help me kind of distill. So the card that I've drawn, so I, I drew it based on like, what am, what am I feeling as I consider a particular question. And the question mm. that I was considering is, um, how can I best support my son through apocalypse times? Mm. So my son is a 16 year old trans boy. He, mm. you know, he identifies as gay and anxious. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like, a, it's kind of rough times. And I thought, okay, well, he's going through so much change. He's mm. going to be 17 in January. Maybe I'll just mm. like kind of contain this to the next year. So how do I support him through the next year of this world, you know? Mm. So the card that I drew is drought. Mm. And um, I've never drawn that one before. And I <clears throat> looked to the book and I used my pendulum actually to mm. get a sense of like, which are the answers that are right for me? There's like five options here. And actually there are, there were two that my pendulum mm. said, these both apply. Mm. So I, I'd love to share with you. So the, 
um, first one <clears throat> is if, if you looked at this card and you saw like tree bark or scaly skin or natural skins and textures, it says you find great utility and importance in protecting yourself from the world, from pain, from unneeded nuisances. You spend much of your time concerned with avoiding what is undesirable. You continually sidestep that which does not fit into your agenda until you sidestep so far that eventually you find yourself backed into a corner. The time will come when you have to face the things you are avoiding. Ask yourself, do my protective layers actually serve me? How many layers do I really need? What would it mean to shed my layers and wear my skin bare? So that was the first one. And I was like, Ooh, is that my son who like has social anxiety and doesn't like talk to anyone at school? Like, you know, or is it me? He's recently gone to a new school that like is totally outside industrial education complex. Mm -hmm. And he's like doing, he's thriving, even though there's not a lot of socializing. And I thought maybe it's that I've been you know, enabling or helping him be small, or I've been overprotecting. Mm. And now that he's mm. like, doesn't have so many rules, he's actually thriving mm. and doing well. So then the second one that it said could apply is if you looked at this and you saw an empress or queen on a throne, you obediently follow and believe in the power of the maternal figure that walks before you, mm. the mother, the moon, the witch, her majesty. You find comfort in her rule and command. You also hide behind it. You are a great listener, but you do not exercise your own voice enough. You have an amazing sense of your own ethics and morals, but you stay rigid within them, never questioning what has been passed down to you from those you trust. Trust is a beautiful thing, but questioning is to find beauty beyond what we know. It is faith. Be your own queen, your own moon, your own witch, your own majesty rule this land mm. sort of felt like that was saying yes mom you are being overprotective <laughs> like let your child just figure it out a bit mm. you don't have to like you have there's like the attachment is strong and there but you have to maybe let him develop more of that sovereignty mm. um Anyway, so that's, that's yeah. what I'm sort of sitting with as, as a possible interpretation. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts or even just anything about like this drought card and how it came to be. Oh, thank you for sharing that personal, like so tender, what a position you're in. I am just like, uh, have so much gratitude for you being a mom of a transhuman right now and like oh yeah my partner is trans and we just like look at this like current generation and not everyone has supportive parents but those who do I'm just like yes like it just it brings me a lot of joy and um yeah I think that you're right on right like all of this allusion to protection and layers and really examining like what is actually needed there's so much fear of being vulnerable which makes sense right it's really risky it's really risky to take chances to let go to have faith right especially in our culture like in our white supremacist capitalist culture it's like all about control and power and like we will set this plan and we will bootstrap ourselves until we get there and like letting go like granted like 
we have responsibilities and whatever, but to really distinguish between what is truly needed and for the good of everyone around us and what we're just trying to soothe in ourselves. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so just thinking about that sweet relationship with your son and like 17, I feel like this is the time where they like, they're just going and doing, they're becoming their own people. And I don't have kids, but I do have siblings that I like raised sort of and watching them make decisions, some that I didn't agree with, live their lives in some ways where I was like, this is confusing to me. I think I know a better way, but I'm going to, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And I think that drought card, um, so the way that I came up with the interpretations for that card was like by, I think I said this briefly before, but like looking at like psychology, dream interpretation, like what does drought mean in dreams? What is dryness? What is cracking? Mm-hmm. Um, and I both like thought about the event like of a drought, but also the symbolism of what the card looks like. And so that card, it really does look like this like cracking skin, like a shedding of a snake, like mm-hmm. letting go of layers that I mean, all, I feel like that's everyone's life work, right? Like we grow this certain kind of skin that is often like really good survival strategy created to protect us from whatever stuff we needed to be protected from, which is different for everyone. And at a certain time we grow out of them and it's really hard to let them go. And uh, yeah, so that was the thought behind that card. Mm, it's fascinating. It really is. It's not the easiest deck. If you're like, oh, I'm going to do a daily card draw. Like, no, that's not (laughs) what we're doing here. This is like, okay, we're going to do a deep dive into the psyche and the shadow and, and, um, the future and run some scenarios here. Yeah. Pretty intense, but I love it. So I'm, I'm very excited to share it. You know, Scorpio sun right here. Anybody (laughs) Like, and this is the perfect time of year, I think, to really be considering like, okay, we're, you know, it's a, we're days away from Halloween and Samhain and like, we're now we're just trying to make it until solstice. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is good, deep excavation of uh, the interior landscape. I love it. So, <laughs> last question on the show, uh, as always, uh, Lindsay, I'm excited to ask you actually, how do you personally then <laughs> with grief and rage yeah uh I have (sighs) grief and rage but grief even more has like become my favorite emotion Mm. I have had to deal with it a lot especially the past couple years uh I have a lot of family who are really deep in addiction and it's not pretty. I'll put it that way. Um, And I think, you know, I've dealt with it in a lot of different ways over the years, right? There's been years of avoidance. There's been years where it looked like, you know, punching pillows and kind of that more ragey grief. And I feel like in the past year or two, it is just like, how do I fully offer myself physically and somatically over to it? And Mm -hmm. so like, and so that has looked like, you know, like, okay, like 
crying for three hours at a time sometimes, you know, getting really loud with it, like, you know, listening to my body moving in whatever way the grief wants to be moved. Um, you know, this phrase that came up last year that is just like the best way for me to describe it is uh, my grief is ecstasy. Mm. Like having this ecstatic experience with grief almost to the point where the judgment of good or bad goes away. It's just like, this is just a profound, big, sensual experience. Like mm -hmm. I'm feeling so much and just kind of seeing how deep I can go with that in like a really safe and supported way with like lots of support and love around me to, mm -hmm. to do that and work through it. But yeah, I feel like diving in <laughs> is like, that's how I deal with it right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense to me. And your work speaks to that. So I, yeah, I, com I commend you and honor um, that this is not an easy path. Mm. I think yeah, a person who has created something like this has not been walking an easy path. So <laughs> I'm so glad that you have love and support around you so you can keep bringing your work into the world. Thank you so much for sharing, Lindsay. It's been fascinating. I hope we chat again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. That was fun. She's delightful. Check out the show notes at numinouspodcast.com to find a link to the Origins and Endings deck, as well as to Lindsay's other artistic endeavors. And you can follow her on Instagram at Lindsay Tunkel, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-T-U-N-K-L. And that's where you'll find out about her other work too. She does tarot readings, magical instruction, and ritual support rooted in Jewish pagan practice. And speaking of magical instruction, join me this Halloween for the Witches New Year. I'm hosting a three-hour workshop starting at 11 a.m. Pacific. We'll begin with trance work to connect with our underworld guides as we prepare to venture forth into this darkest time of the year. We'll create our own unique personal divination system from objects found in nature or around the house. And finally, we'll work some not magic and spellcraft as we make a witch's ladder for protection and blessings upon our household. Yes, it will be recorded if you can't make it live, but you still need to register before the event. Once registration closes, it's gone for good and I'm on to the next thing. So you'll find complete details at CarmenSpaniola.com. I'd like to say hello and thank you for my listener shout out today to my listeners in Brazil. Obrigada, muito obrigada. Hola para uh, Mariana Bandara, especially Mariana. Thank you for sharing your time with me. It means a lot, for real. Follow me on Instagram at Carmen Spaniola and be the first to know about all my upcoming offerings by signing up for my newsletter at CarmenSpaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G. N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.